When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming up on episode 226 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Arkimoto Roadster, the Genesis G70. GM delivers Hummers and Bright Drop EVs. Rivian loses $1.2 billion. And we talk about the Hyundai Ionic 5 and our first drive impressions, as well as an interview with Trevor Lai from Hyundai. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 226 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abul-Samad of Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakelin, and we'll go with Forbes Wheels this week. And I am Roberto Baldwin with Digital Trends. Robbie, you've been driving something, or or maybe maybe I should say riding something a little different this week. I I have. So um, I have been riding the Arkimoto Roadster. Now, if you don't know who Arkimoto is, you might remember... If, if you follow cars and, and especially EVs in any way, you might know the Arkimoto FUV, the fun utility vehicle. Full. It is, it is a, uh, an auto cycle, essentially. It is, it's two, two wheels in the front, one in the back, and it has like this little bubble almost. Well, not a bubble. It's a canopy. A canopy, yes. It has a canopy, and you sit down in it, and you sit in it like a car, but it has, a, it has a handlebars like a motorcycle. And you ride it around, and the idea is it gets about 100 miles of range, and you use it to do take care of like little things around town. You can, you know, you can you can take care of your errands. Um, you might start seeing them in a lot of um, uh, touristy areas in San Francisco. I know that they now offer them up for people who want to ride around the city and do the tour of San Francisco. As an um, alternative to a Segway. As it, well, they have the Segway, and then they have those little weird little. Like little go kart things, the little oh, side by those. side, yeah, yeah, the little yellow go yellow go karts that, that have a motor yeah. or are, are gas powered, and so now the, those people are also offering up the Arkimoto FUV. So they have Fuv. you know the FUV, it's FUV on the autobahn. Um, so you have they have that. That's sort of their main vehicle, um, and. You can do a bunch of things with it. You can like you can, you can make it you make the back have a little bit more room. You can you know they're they're hoping to sell to municipalities as you know little vehicles to get around and transport. You know maybe uh, landscapers can use them, etc. Then they have this other thing called the Arkimoto Roadster, which is essential. It's the same sort of platform, 
but it doesn't have the canopy. It doesn't. Have, it looks more like one of those three wheeled motorcycles that you see riding around, like the um, the Can Am Spider, I think. Yeah, yeah, those things. Um, which for a long time I was always just like eh, about. But at the same time, like you know what? If you want to enjoy the freedom of a motorcycle, without like concern of tipping over, good. <laughs> like, it's nice, you know. You know, it's, it's, the, the freedom of a motorcycle is great because you don't have anything around you. You see the world, but you also don't want to tip over. <laughs> <laughs> tipping Fair. over is bad. Motorcycles are very heavy, so they have so they have this Arkhamoto Roadster. It's essentially that. It's an EV, and I have been riding around, and there's. A bunch of little caveats I have to add here about about how much I how I why I like it or, or reasons why maybe you should or shouldn't get it. But I actually really like this thing <laughs> because initially they're like, "Hey, do you want this?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, sure, we'll take this." Did you and have it for like a whole week to drive around? I still have it. It's in the it's in the driveway. So you're just like tootling around town in this thing. I just was looking at this little thing. Their video is so cute. They have like a little gang of them going down the street. I want to yeah. get one and like drive. I want to be a gang in the little yeah. car. Those are cool. <laughs> so I like around, these. Hassling shopkeepers. Right. Like, we're the really toned-down version of a motorcycle gang. We're coming yeah. at you with our little Arkhamoto. Wee! Like, instead of, like, well, instead of, like uh, leather jackets, we have, like, members-only jackets. Oh, perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> the soft helmets. kitten. The bicycle soft... We have to wear bicycle helmets for safety. <laughs> yes. With, like, our, our, we're, like, the soft kittens MC, the soft kittens motorcycle <laughs> club. That's so, perfect. Like, let me ask a question. What kind of license do you have to have to use either this or the the original FUV? Do you need a motorcycle license, you a car license? No, or? You, you need a car license. So okay. that's the bare minimum. In some states, including, I believe, California, you don't need a motorcycle license. Well, it really because is it's more car-like because it won't yeah, tip. So it's, I mean, it's, it's more car-like. Right? But I, anything that you ride, you do have to wear a helmet, but... And again, that's always from state to state because Las Vegas, Hawaii, they, they don't have motorcycle helmets. No laws. helmet law here. Feel free oh, to bonk your yeah. noggin on the just road and bonk your your Yeah, the states like that. You know, where, yeah. you know, just go around bonking your head on the ground. Wear, wear a helmet, please. Uh, please know. wear a helmet. This is me I, being sarcastic. Yeah. Just <laughs> As someone who spent decades not wearing a helmet, I'm a huge advocate of helmets. <laughs> well, Michigan repealed its helmet law about four years ago. And we've. Uh, oh, really? Uh, amazingly enough, we've had a huge spike in. Uh, in serious injuries to motorcycle riders. I don't believe you, Sam. The data lies. Uh, I know. Oh. The idea of... Uh, I really coincidental. Thinking, We've I never about- had one here, I don't think, in New Hampshire. And people come screaming down our main road, like our highway, and they literally come over from Massachusetts, pull over, which is super safe on the highway, take their helmets off, put them on the back of their bike, and zoom back on the highway going 65, 70 miles an hour. That, that is... That's dedication. Mm, it freaks me out every time. Like, like on, wear your helmet, see. but also, could we not at least pull over not on the side of the highway, which is super dangerous, like you should not do unless you need to? You don't need to. Go to the next exit. Unless you have Good. a flat tire you have to fix right, right now. Like, do not just pull. It's a danger uh, zone a, right there. There's so. always those those those, those uh, police videos of, like, the officer giving someone a ticket, and also yes. the car just comes barreling into it, and they all, it's always like a near miss or something. Yeah, that's what I'm don't, – don't, don't pull over on the freeway unless you absolutely We, we actually had someone – it was a child who was – Because you never know when a Tesla is going to run into you. Someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those rogue Teslas, man. Rogue Teslas. So um, 
What, what are we talking Sorry, about? Oh, the Roadster. <laughs> totally gone down. Woo! You were talking about the motorcycle club. So I'm talking about the little motorcycle thing. So it has um, a, a top speed of 75 miles an hour. Oh, anyway, let me go back to my whole, if you ride anything that's even remotely like a motorcycle, I really recommend you take a motorcycle safety class and you get a motorcycle license. The motorcycle safety class will help you and make you a better driver. And, and the uh, motorcycle license will mean that, you know, when you, if you do happen to have one of these and you go into a state where it does say, hey, by the way, you need to have a license and you don't, they're not going to, like, hassle you and take your, 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 little, your little auto, well, I don't even know what it is, motorcycle thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anywho. Anyway. It has a, a top speed of 75 miles an hour. It has it. It's an EV, obviously, and it has EV torque like all through the the uh, the power band. Like ever, like I'm doing 50, I pull it, you get some EV torque. You're doing 20, you get some EV torque. Off the line, there's not a lot of EV torque. I, you know, I think they set the controller just so people wouldn't fly off of the damn thing. Um, <laughs> it has a range of 102 miles in the city, um, and then that real. If you're doing 70 miles an hour everywhere, um, that just drops down to 32, which happens with a lot of uh, electric motorcycles. Is if you're on the freeway the range drops precariously because you are a giant board blocking the wind. As a human on a motorcycle, the motorcycle would be fine. Your body acts like a parachute. Yes, you are essentially a parachute just dragging, just destroying the range of your your, your electric motorcycle. Um, It is three wheels. It doesn't have power steering, but I do believe they're working on that. So it is difficult to sort of turn at, at low speeds because you're trying to turn two wheels with, uh, you know, handlebars. Um, it has a very low center of gravity. It's, it's, and so when it goes around corners, it's not going to tip over, but you may slide off. <laughs> so you really, you kind of have to lean in and brace yourself if you're trying to go fast. Um, and then there's the, if you're a motorcycle rider, you know, when you hit a bump, the, the action is you move up and down. The bike moves up and down as it hits a bump Two two wheels, they're, they're, they're running, you know, in the same direction. With this, there's two wheels in front, but they're on the side. So in addition to up and down, you have a side-to-side movement, which takes a little bit to get used to um, if you're used to riding, again, motorcycles. If you ride quads, you're probably, you know, you're probably, you'll be fine. With this, it's a, it's a little bit, you know, with, uh, with, with rough roads. Having said all of that, sort of saying, well, it's kind of weird to ride, um, it, you know, it's, it, if you go 70 miles an hour, you'll get like 32 miles of range. Once you sort of get past the idea, like, oh, I got to take this on the back road and do all these corners and all this stuff, which I did initially, and I'm like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's way more fun to just cruise around town, just cruising around, doing things, like picking, going to the store. It's got all these little storage spaces. It's, it's, a, it's got this little, like, cargo area in the back that you can put, like, a top box on or whatever. It's essentially like a cargo. What, what I say in our video for Engadget, it's a cargo bike for people who don't want to pedal. It's for lazy people like me. <laughs> <laughs> if you're incredibly lazy and you just want to cruise around town, <laughs> you can get the Arkhamoto Roadster. Um, it's also very, very, very expensive for what it is. But How yet, much rem- is it? Okay. Uh, uh, oh God. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what? I think Sam. It is twenty three. It starts at twenty three thousand nine hundred dollars, which oh. is so. Okay, so all the sort of these are the reasons why it costs so much. A, it's a new company. They're having you know they've essentially built a new vehicle, so you don't have the economies of scale. You don't have this idea that you can say, well, we're building you know a hundred thousand of them. Now we can sell them for fifteen thousand. They don't have that yet. Um, I have talked to them, and they said they they really do want to, want to bring the price down. 
but you know they have to sell more. And so, uh, like I was saying with the fleet sales, I I do believe they're they're probably selling these into fleets as well. So uh, resort towns, places of the beach, Miami sounds like a place that would probably have these. Uh, Hawaii um, places, and you know, uh, you're probably going to start seeing these in addition to the FUVs and other little fun vehicles you could rent. So the more of these that they're sold within fleets, the more likely the price is going to come down. And so right now, to me, it's really for like first adopters, people who are just like, well, I got a lot of money and I'm going to get this because it's goofy it. and fun or fleet sales. If you're someone who's just like, oh, I kind of want something to kind of cruise around. It's a tough pill to swallow that 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 price. Um, that said, it is really it is it is fun. Um, you can only get it, though, in California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Arizona and Florida. Again, Places worth, you know, beach towns and stuff. I'm sure if someone from Hawaii called them and said, "Hey, we want to buy a hundred of them," they'd be more than happy to sell. <laughs> they'd be to like, them. sure. Yeah, yeah. So you know, they're 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 a relatively new company. They've been working on their FUV for years. I wrote it at CES in 2017, I think, maybe 2018. I don't know. It's, years ago, I rode their FUV or drove. I don't. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know, if you're looking for these. Fun, weird uh, things. Uh, this this is definitely it. Um, it has heated seats. It has heated hand grips, which is great because it's been like 45, and I've been riding this thing around in the, like the coldest week of the year here in the Bay Area. Um, <clears throat> regenerative braking, all the things that you sort of expect from a from a um, an EV. So overall, I like it. Ex- but there are the caveats that it's very expensive. It's kind of weird to ride when you first start it, and uh, yeah, that's yeah. So uh, Arkham Motor Roadster, please have, send me your questions. Have you ridden the uh, the Can-Am Spider? And if so, you know how 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 would you compare this to that? I have not ridden the Can-Am Spider. I kind of wish I'm riding this thing around. I'm like, damn it! I wish I had ridden the Can-Am Spider. They have not reached out to me, um, so I've never actually uh, ridden their uh, their motor trike thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, because because I'm you know I'm looking at the the Can-Am website right now as well and. Those things aren't cheap either, you know. They have they have one, you know, uh, the the base version they call the Riker, that starts at nine grand, but you know, there's the the Spider F3 that you know is eighteen thousand, and the the Spider RT is you know twenty four thousand dollars. So, you know, it looks like you know all these things are are fairly pricey. They yeah, you have to. I mean, because you have to add a whole other. And it's obviously a lot dimension more complex to it. Yeah, it's a lot more complex than a motorcycle. So now you have to, yeah. you, you have to, the the suspension is now, you know, you have to deal with two sets of, of of wheels up front, and so it creates all this sort of complexity when you're when you're building it versus a motorcycle where it's just like, okay, here's a frame, and now you need to be able to attach the suspension to here on the frame and the wheel, and the suspension in the back and the wheel, and this is where the motor goes, and this is the chain and or the the uh, belt that goes back to the motor that turns the wheel. Ta-da! <laughs> and that's that's sort of the basics of a motorcycle. That's why they're you know they're 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 initially they're sort of simple, and then all the auto or all the motorcycle makers sort of build upon that to make it their own. And you know the technology that's in motorcycles now is is bonkers. Uh, you know the what multi uh, what Ducati and BMW are doing is just insane. The 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 amount of technology that you're getting in a motorcycle is is sort of crazy. Like oh I got you know you can get CarPlay on your motorcycle you can get, you know you can you can adjust the you can adjust the suspension in order to you know, the Multistrada 
I mean, it's in their name, but you can adjust the suspension so it's more of a, a cruiser or it's more of a sport bike. Um, you can, it actually moves up and down, like the suspension. You can watch it on a motorcycle, which, you know, 15, 20 years ago would have been like, well, you just, here's your bike. This is what Go it does. Go for it. Yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> All right. I think, the, the, I think this next one, no. I, did you look at the show notes now that I, I, I filled I in the boxes? So I don't know. Do we do we fight? I think it well, should you, be you. You go, you go first, and then I will add my thoughts in there. Okay. So um, Sam and I have the same car this week, <laughs> which we just realized when I put it, popped it into the show notes just now. Um, we are both in the 2022 Genesis G70. Um, I am a big fan of Genesis, which I think I've said before. I still feel like this is one of the you get so much luxury car for not luxury car dollars. Like you just, you, it's hard to match up. You can't find the features in this that you will find in other like tr luxury brands. You're going to pay five, 10, 15, whatever thousand dollars more. So this is a, the has a 3.3 liter turbo. It is super unbelievably fun to drive. There is 365 horsepower, 376 pound feet of torque, uh, eight speed automatic transmission, it has power and speeds. I mean, if you want to go, if you if you hammer the gas, you will get a strong reaction from this. Um, it's, but it also manages to do that because it's a luxury car. This isn't like some aggressive, super sporty, just like all about performance. Don't care about passenger comfort. It does it without being harsh. Like it's an aggressive acceleration, but it's nothing where you feel like this overly over harshness. It's not overly loud. It's very smooth as it does this. Um, and once you get up to highway speeds and you're just cruising, um, it is. It's quiet. It's easy to handle. Uh, you know, you can have a a nice quiet conversation with whoever's in the back seat and not have to raise your voice just because of highway speeds. And even if it's pouring rain or in the case of me yesterday, a uh, giant snowstorm comes in and there's snow and ice. And yeah, I had a little winter vehicle testing in this. Uh, it's still, it's unbelievably quiet. And I have to say it handled beautifully. We have, we really got like craptastic weather yesterday. It was icy. It was snowy. It was slippery. I had no problems with this. It handled really, really well. And this is rear wheel drive. This wasn't, you know, it's still, this handled unbelievably well in really bad weather, uh, which I thought was a plus because sometimes, you know, you have to get an all wheel drive vehicle for that to happen. Sometimes in a rear wheel drive, it actually is surprisingly good. And this was, uh, this was the kind of weather that would surprise you when you think, oh yeah, no big deal. It's only an inch or two of snow on the ground, but actually it's an inch of snow, then ice, then freezing rain, then a little more snow, then a little more ice. So it's actually pretty slick. Um, and this did really well. So I like driving this. I like the power. I like that it's got plenty of power to move it along, but it doesn't it's not aggressive about it. It remembers that it's a luxury car. Um, and to that end, you have all the luxury fanciness inside. You've got, um, you know, power steering wheel. You've got um, leatherette door panels. Everything, a dual zone automatic climate control. Everything looks and feels beautiful. A very comfortable. It feels and looks like a luxury car when you open the door. You don't have any doubt that, like, this is a luxury van. This isn't a Hyundai this is a Genesis, and you know it when you open the door. And you get all sorts of fancy safety stuff with this, too. You've got, you know, rear cross-traffic alert, lane keeping, lane following, blind spot, rear occupant alert. Um, so you get this. There's a lot of car here. Um, so for that, and see, this is the thing. So for all of the, the stuff that makes this just a beautiful, well-equipped, comfortable luxury sedan it is at that it's at 42 one now they added stuff on to the one that i have you get a sport package which adds 
Um, some like like you get 19 inch sport wheels, you get ventilated front seats, a sunroof. They upgrade the speaker system to a 15 speaker lexicon system. Um, you get some, you know, there's some dark chrome trims and stuff. That is a $4,300 package. And then there's an additional $4,000 package on mine that is a head up display. You get Napa leather seating surfaces, so fancier leather, uh, microfiber suede headliner, Brembo brakes. Uh, so you get extra bits and pieces. So mine as priced was $51,945. So it's, again, it's not like you're getting a $30,000 car here, but for basically 52 grand, you're getting a lot of car. And that's what impresses me about this. It wants to be a luxury brand. It is. It wants to be a somewhat affordable one. And it is. And that's, go for am- it, Sam. Am- amazingly enough, mine was actually more affordable than yours, despite um, the fact that a uh, big difference that I had, I had one with all-wheel drive, mm-hmm. uh, unlike the, the rear drive one you had. Okay. Um, it was still the 3.3-liter the twin-turbo V6, uh, so same 365 horsepower. Uh, but I, it had all-wheel drive, which, although we didn't get snow yesterday, we did uh, get a bunch of sleet and, and freezing rain overnight uh, on, uh, the, on Friday night, I guess. Yeah, Friday night. Um, so when I went out to, <clears throat> to go out yesterday... You know, it was all caked in caked in ice that had to scrape off. Uh, but uh, you know, on the on the all wheel or on the all season tires that were on this, it, it did surprisingly well, especially with with the all wheel drive. You know, I didn't have you know the the Napa leather or the heads up display things like that. So this was the the not you know obviously not the base trim, but just the standard three point three T all wheel drive version. Uh, there's also uh, there was or is a 3.3T uh, launch edition, um, which I'm not sure if, if those are sold out or if still, they're still yeah. available, uh, but it's listed on the website. Um, so the the base MSRP on this one is 44200 on the one I had, and with delivery it came to 45745 And, you know, at that price point, you know, this is really a, a great value, <clears throat> especially when you compare it. You know, it probably its its most direct competitor uh, for this car is going to be the BMW M340i uh, xDrive. Um, and, I mean, you can get the, the M340i either rear drive or, or all-wheel drive. Um, both of them have uh, a three-liter twin-turbo uh, six-cylinder, inline-six rather than a V6. Um, they have slightly more power, 382 horsepower, but the, the M340i starts at, 54.7 for rear wheel drive and 56.7 an extra two grand for all wheel drive. Uh, so, you know, that's like what, 12, 11,000 11, yeah. $11,000 more than what, what the one I had uh, for all for, um, for the BMW. And to be honest, I, I think I would probably take this over the BMW. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, I like the, the three series. It's, it's good, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is absolutely a better value. Uh, you get so much uh, for what you're getting. And it, you know, as you said, it does feel like a luxury car. You know, there are there are some premium priced cars out there that don't feel nearly as luxurious as what you get from a Genesis. So, yep. you know, as, as part of the, the larger Hyundai Motor Group, a key component of you know all three brands Hyundai Kia and Genesis now yeah you know, has always been value uh clearly you know Genesis models you know, the current lineup of Genesis models are 
a significant step up from what you get from a Hyundai or Kia. But uh, you know, you you can see you can see and feel that when you sit in the car, uh, the the seats are really comfortable. Um, one thing that you know this year for 2022 models, they did get a mid-cycle update, so got a new front fascia, uh, brought it brought the design more in line with the rest of the current Genesis lineup. So they've gone to the 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 for the the headlamps, they've gone to the twin thin horizontal strips. Uh, for the projector beam headlamps, uh, so it matches what you get on the G80 and G90 and the GV GV80 and GV70. And similarly, the the grill has been revised. It's a slightly larger than before, but it's not. It's not as it doesn't come across as obnoxious as the uh, the the big BMW grill. Uh, Nothing you know, it, does. It 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 does. It, it works better than the BMW grill. So uh, there's that. Um, the, the back seat, uh, you know, in this is a little bit tight, you know, for where I position the, the driver's seat, you know, for I'm 5'11". Uh, I get in the back, you know, my knees are touching the back, the back of the front seat. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't call it cramped, but it's definitely uh, more snug than what you would get in a G80, which is, you know, a, no, no surprise, shouldn't be a surprise right. to anybody. Um, but other than that, you know, there's not really a whole lot to uh, to complain about. You know, the only option that was on mine was the uh, the Adriatic blue paint, uh, which was 500 bucks. Um, and you know, Kia, uh, everything from Hyundai, Kia, Genesis, you know, tends to be very reliable, very well built. Uh, so I, I think if you're looking for a premium, uh, you know, compact sports sedan. You know, this is a, a great choice. The one, the one other uh, thing that that they did change this year as part of that mid-cycle update is they dropped the option of the manual transmission with the two-liter, the base two-liter turbo engine. Uh, you used to be able to get um, a two-liter um, rear-wheel drive. Actually, I can't remember if they offered it with all-wheel drive or not, but you could certainly get the two-liter turbo rear-wheel drive with a manual. Uh, that is no more. It's gone. Um, so uh, the, the starting price now, you know, so everything's got an eight-speed automatic. The starting price for the two-liter rear drive, thirty-seven thousand five twenty-five, uh, which is you know, very, very reasonable. It's definitely less than you're going to pay for anything from Germany uh, in this class, um, and uh, and of course, you know, because it's Hyundai Motor Group, uh, it does come with the sounds of nature in there. Uh, so you can you know, enjoy the sound of a, a Parisian cafe or crunching through the snow or walking through the woods uh, as you go for a drive. Which should seal the deal about why you should buy it, that one feature Absolutely. alone. Exactly. I, mean, you know, I, think, I think from now on, anything that doesn't come with the sounds of nature should just automatically be ignored. Cross it off your list. Like, yeah. don't even waste your time. Exactly. Not, not even worth your consideration. <laughs> All right, so that's the Genesis G70. Um, last week, um, uh, before we, before Robbie and I recorded uh, on our own last week, uh, I think I mentioned that um, for the first time in the history of wheel bearings, all three current hosts were present in the same location at the same time. Uh, 
And we uh, didn't take a picture. <laughs> we didn't take a picture. We were going to take a picture, but and then, then we they, forgot. they said, hey, it's time to eat. And then and I then looked around ate. and I, I dilly dallied. And so then I looked around and everyone was gone. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, I guess I better go find a chair. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the reason why we were all together was we were in, in San Diego to drive the uh, another product of the Hyundai Motor Group, the new Ionic 5, the first of what is planned to be at least 23 different vehicles between now and 2025 using um, Hyundai's new eGMP, which stands for Electric um, Global Modular Platform. Uh, this is the, the new EV architecture that, uh, <laughs> that Kia is using on, on all their upcoming EVs. Uh, this is the first one out. Uh, it will be followed in a month or so by the Kia EV6. In fact, Kia may even deliver a handful to customers this month. Um, before mm. before uh, New Year's Eve, but in general, they won't really be available till probably sometime later in January. Uh, and um, we all had a chance to drive it. Uh, what? Yeah, and we've we've got we've got a number of questions. I put out a call for questions on the Ionic Five uh, the other day, so we've got some questions about it. But what what did the, the two of you think? I really really liked it. And I, I, I try to temper my uh, expectations because I like the, the design of the vehicle a lot. When I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one. But then you're like, I, I, I think I talked about this with the RS6 Avant where you're like, ooh. And then you're like, okay, what's going to happen when I get in this vehicle? Um, I got in. I was like, oh, this is really nice. It, is, it really does sort of deliver on the promise of what Hyundai was showing off, which, which you know, again – PR, marketing, they have a job to do, and that's to make whatever they're selling sound like it's the best vehicle that's ever been made since the, you know, the dawn of time. Um, and I'm not saying this is the best vehicle that's ever been, but it is very, very good. I really, as an EV, as, a, as just a, a, a car, which I think is really important for a lot of people, is it's like, oh, it's a good EV. It's more important that it's a good vehicle, you know, regardless of the, uh, the powertrain. And I think that's, that's really what this is. And I will talk for 30 minutes about it, so I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in agreement. It looked, the thing is, this, this has very striking styling. It doesn't look like every other um, vehicle. Like, they get, made it look distinct. It has this sort of this future forward kind of look to it. What do they call I keep wanting to call it. Like they call it pixels, I guess the little rectangle, the little squares that are part of the design that go all along the back of that, and it carries through, and that's like inside the car in places, and it's sort of like it's like a little bit on the steering wheel. Like there's not even a Hyundai logo on the steering wheel. It's like not there. You're like, if it's it's, it looks really cool. So you you have that like, okay, this looks really neat. Is this gonna drive? Is really neat? Or are you gonna get behind the wheel and be like, wah wah? This is terrible. <laughs> no. Because you have it, you get all excited about how something looks, and then you sit down. And you're like, "Well, I, I don't care how cool this looks. This this is awful." It was really great to drive. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, and the same thing that you said, Robbie. I felt like it was honestly one of the first EVs that I drove, and it I sort of forgot it was an EV. I was just driving a car, which is nice. Like I no, I it's a crossover. Forget. It's not a car. Oh, sorry, crossover. But, uh, you want to drive just a vehicle, a crossover. You don't want to say, like, oh, I have a really cool EV. You want to just at some point be driving a thing and forget, like, the engine, which engine, the fact that it's an EV should stop mattering at a certain point. It should just be a vehicle. And that's how I felt like this was. I, I enjoyed the fact that it had this very future-forward look. 
that it had just very roomy interior. But the driving it, I forgot. Yeah, like Robbie's like moving his elbows around. So much elbow yeah, room. There was elbow room that you sort of forgot that this was an EV. Suddenly it was just, you're just driving. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I think, you know, th- this is something, you know, several years, you know, over the last several years, you know, when I do presentations for clients and my, my role as an analyst, you know, one of the, the topics I would bring up regularly uh, going back probably four or five years now was as, you know, as the EV sales continue to climb and you start moving past the era of, of um, tax incentives for buying an EV and looks, it's looking today like that, that era <laughs> is going to be coming much sooner than sooner some rather than hope. later. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, one of the things, you know, as EVs go mainstream, they're going to have to compete on their own merits, regardless. You know, pe- people are not going to be thinking. Most people are not going to buy something just because it's an EV. They buy it because it meets their needs, you know, or their desires. Um, you know, which is maybe the way it looks, the way it performs, whatever capabilities it has, and you know, this thing in in most respects, you know, does exactly what what consumers are going to expect of it. Uh, and I, I agree with both of you. I like I like the design. I, I think in your uh, in your gadget video, Robbie, you referred you know, you talked about it having kind of the, the the look and feel of a of a '90s hot hatchback. You know, and in terms of its proportions, I think it definitely definitely has that you know kind of that hatchback look. Even though you know it's a little bit taller, I think one of the interesting things about this is it's actually bigger than it looks when you see it, especially when you see it in photos. Uh, because the the proportions are very much like you know, a '90s you know VW Golf or, or something like that, um, but w- when you actually measure it, it's quite a bit larger than those vehicles. It, it's it has the same basically the same footprint as the Hyundai Tucson uh, crossover. So it's it's like a tenth of an inch different in overall length from the Tucson. It's a little bit wider than the Tucson. But it's about two. In, the roof line is about two inches lower, so it's taller than those old hatchbacks, but sh- a little bit shorter than a, a typical, you know, compact crossover. Uh, so it's very, you know, similar size to a Tucson Rav4, that sort of thing. Uh, a couple inches shorter than a model Tesla Model Y or a Mustang Mach E, uh, and you know, but it, it still has that, you know, a little more upright seating position of a of a crossover, uh, and. I you know I really enjoyed driving this thing. I, I think I think it's fantastic. Uh, you know they're offering it with three uh, three different powertrain configurations uh, to start with. Uh, actually, initially there will be uh, two. So they're starting. Uh, there's two different battery sizes. There's the the 77.4 kilowatt hour battery. That's the extended range battery, and a 55 kilowatt hour battery, which is the standard range. Uh, that's coming, I think, next spring sometime, or spring or summer. Uh, so you can get it with rear-wheel drive and the standard range battery, rear-wheel drive with the extended range battery, or all-wheel drive uh, with the extended range battery. And the, the ex- rear-drive extended range has a um, EPA rating of 303 miles, uh, 220 for the, the standard range battery, uh, and 256 for the all-wheel drive, which is what we all drove. That was the only one they had for us to drive, uh, which has, I think it's about 320 total horsepower um, between the two motors. Um, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, 320 yeah. horsepower. 
So, you know, it's not going to, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not going to challenge, you know, a Tesla Model Y performance, but it's plenty quick. Uh, you know, it's more than quick enough for, you know, what most of what anybody's going to need. You know, so it's going to be, you know, 0 to 60 is going to be somewhere around five seconds or so. Since you brought up the, the Model Y, I have to interrupt you. So while we were out taking photos of this on some winding, twisting road, um, a guy who owned a Tesla Model Y stopped, knew exactly what it was, and was like, oh, my gosh, I drove by. He, like, drove by and mm -hmm. then, like, turned back around and came back. He's like, I drove by. I was like, that's a cool-looking, oh, my gosh, they have the Ionic. Turned back around. I was like, is it okay if I check it out? Talking to this guy, he was so excited about this car, and he said, if this had been around when I bought my Tesla, I would have bought this. But I, I love how it looks. I like we open the doors, we let him see it. You know, he was really impressed. He and his wife both. They're like, this looks so good. This, you know, and the affordability factor. They're like, you know, the pricing wasn't out at the time that we talked to these guys even. But they're like, there's no way this is going to cost what my Tesla cost. You know, but it's still gonna. He was all in. This Tesla guy was like, I am all in for buying this when as soon as it's out. And he loved it. Like it was the funniest thing to see him just go buzzing by us, and all of a sudden like. Arr! come back to what it was, you know? <laughs> Boy, Jay turns on the middle of... Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I think that Tesla's interested in this car. <laughs> we, no, I had a couple of people who were like, oh, is this a concept car? I'm like, no, this is a production is car yeah. that you can actually buy as a person. And they're like, oh... It does have a the look of a concept, the style. Does, and like, it you does. look at it, you think, this can't be how it's really going to look when you get your hands on it. Yes. Yes, it, it does. is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, it, it it is it is definitely a striking looking car, uh, you know, much more so than you know than some of the other stuff that's out there. You know, especially like you know one of the probably most direct comparisons would be to the VW ID4, and I like the, I like the way the ID4 looks, but this is definitely more unique. Uh, you know, without without being you know over designed, I think mm -hmm. I think it's it's a nice balance. They're, yeah, they're, they're finding that balance of sort of this, uh, to me, I called it uh, retro-futuristic because it has those little pixel lights, which is very, you know, 80s. Um, but, it, you know, they, they, it does strike this really great balance of looking like the future and looking cool and looking different from anything else that's on the road right now while not just going, you know, just going a little bit too far, not becoming the Aztec, not becoming, you know... Something that, that looks like they went a little too, like they, they got right up to the edge and they stopped. Yes. And they're like, this is where it's still good. If we keep going, it's going to become the Homer, you know, from, from the Simpsons. So they got right to the edge, they stopped, and they're like, ta-da. <laughs> well, and then that's a trait, and it does. It, 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 it manages to pull off looking different without looking so different that you're like, oh something went wrong there. Like they say, when, there was this old fashion thing where they said, when you look in the mirror, you're supposed to look at one accessory and take it off. Like you shouldn't over, over accessorize yourself. And I feel like the Hyundai guy's like, okay, we got it all done. And someone's like, okay, let's take off a couple bits. Now we have the perfect car. Like they didn't go too far. They stopped at yeah. just the right point without like, we can throw all these other things. No, 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 no. Designers take that, take sure. that, take that. Now we have it looking just right. And what they gave us was just right. It, yeah, it is. It is unless something like really, unless the the EV the ID Buzz comes out and it's affordable, which I don't think it's going to be that affordable. Um, this is probably right now the front runner for our next EV, which is not for like two and a half years because you know we still have the lease on the Kona. Um, but yeah, it, that's that's I'm like like wow. This will be it. I kind of yeah. I want this. This this is a, I want this in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and 
the, you know, the pricing, the, uh, the SE standard range, that's the, the base model that's coming probably middle of next year. Uh, that one will be priced at 39,700, uh, MSRP and it's, I think a 12, $1,200 roughly, uh, delivery charge. <clears throat> And then, you know, it goes up. They've got SE, SEL, and limited trims like they do on most Hyundais. Um, the top of the line, uh, Ionic 5 limited all-wheel drive will be $54,500. And you can, those are the ones you can get right now, the SEL and, and the limited. I think you can also get the all-wheel drive SE uh, as well. Um, and then you still have the, the $7,500 federal tax credit available on that. So this is... You know, there's some, you know, I think, I think this is a reasonably good, you know, it, it's definitely a good value compared to most of what else is out there. And I think that, uh, you know, there, there's probably something here in this lineup that will, that will fit most people's needs. You know, even, even the rear wheel drive uh, models with the extended range battery, you've got 225 horsepower. You know, I think that's, that's plenty. Uh, you know, it's a little more power than what you've got in the Kona. And the you know the Kona is is great fun to drive, and you know this is rear wheel drive with the single motor, so you know it should be even better balanced than the Kona, uh, and you know you can you can get an SE extended range rear wheel drive from forty four thousand dollars, so this is this is definitely I think something that should be on most people's radar is something to to look at. There's some interesting features that um, Hyundai's incorporated into into this platform. Um, one is the fact that it's got an 800 volt architecture. So it's a, most, most EVs, including Tesla's current Tesla's have a 400 volt architecture, um, which is, you know, inherently going to limit how fast you can charge it uh, among other things. This has an 800 volt architecture. The, it's the first more mainstream vehicle like that. The only other ones that do that right now are the Porsche Taycan, Audi e-tron GT and the Lucid Air. Uh, and you know, so they're, they've adopted that they're basically Hyundai is basically trying to future proof this platform, uh, which, and so that means that, you know, it can charge it up to 235 kilowatts. Uh, if you go to one of the, uh, 350 kilowatt chargers at electrify America or charge point and, uh, uh, it'll go, it'll charge from 10% to 80% in 18 minutes, which is really, really fast. We, we did. They did uh, charging demos. We did charging demos with this thing, and uh, you know, as soon as you plug it in, you know, if it's at, you know, they they plugged one in that was at ten percent battery charge, and it immediately jumped right up to like two hundred and twenty-five kilowatts, and then slowly crept up from there up to about two uh, two thirty uh, at its peak, and uh, so. You know, it, it charges very quickly for you know for most people's needs. Yeah, it's it's yeah. The, the, I think the chart people don't really think about the charging speeds. They think, well, it's range and you know this and that. But if you could charge like you know that that timing where like fifteen minutes or whatever, that's just a little bit longer really than your car. Just a, just a scooch, just a scooch right. longer than your car because I put the thing in the you know. I, Put the car, put the, 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 I forget, sorry. You put the pump into your car, the hose into the hole in your car, and then you go inside, and if you're like me, and you, if you're like me, you just wander around, try to figure out what sort of new flavors of Red Bull are out in the world, <laughs> look for some Fritos, look for some, you know, some beef jerky, and I come back out, and it's probably about 10 minutes 
you know, if it's just a little bit longer than that, okay, I'll stay inside a little bit longer. Or I'll sit in my car and listen to five minutes of a podcast or listen to exactly one song. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's really not that long. And these, you know, last night I had to go charge. Uh, I'm, I'm driving the Mini SE right now, which is also a really great car, but has very limited range. Um, I, I plugged it in because I wanted to get it up to 100 for a, for a range test, and I walked over and I got some Hawaiian barbecue <laughs> because it's because it's in a big shopping center. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get some Hawaiian barbecue. <laughs> so that's, that's you know the sort of uh, well, someone told me that uh, when you're you're charging an EV while you're when you're fueling up a car, that's what you're doing. But when you're charging an EV, you're usually doing something else. That's sort of the the deal. Um, so yeah, so I, I went and got Hawaiian barbecue because I could just park it there, which, you know, I can't just park my car at the gas station and walk away <laughs> and walk away. Gonna I mean, be a you lot could, but it's not advisable. Could. It's good, but you, but, but you shouldn't. You should not. Uh, the, uh, another interesting feature they have is, uh, vehicle to load capability. So you can plug in an adapter it goes into the charge port and it gives you, uh, an AC outlet. <clears throat> With one point up to one point nine kilowatts of output, so you can you can hook up a, a power strip to that and run a whole bunch of stuff off of that. So you know if you're doing some glamping, you know you can have you can have have a bunch of power uh, available for your for your morning coffee or uh, you know to charge up your your laptop or whatever else you want to do. Uh, you know hook up your hook up your blow dryer to that. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, so that you know, that's a that's another, and you know, theoretically, you could also you know um, recharge your friend's EV uh, from that. Although it would be a fairly slow and tedious process to, the, to do that. It, it, it's like you could. It's like plugging in your EV into you know your standard household outlet for, for yeah. That. So that's not particularly recommended, but you can do it. Um, and then uh, you know, just just to prove that this isn't a complete love fest for the Ionic Five, uh, there are. Uh, there are a couple of minor flaws uh, in this. One, one in particular that uh, uh, somebody else pointed out to me on the the first night. You know that somebody had driven it on the first wave, and uh, was asking about this. And I realized, you know, with EVs in cold weather, you know, one of the things you definitely want to do if you can is take advantage of heated seats uh, because they take a lot less energy to heat up the seats and keep your your backside warm than it does to keep the air in the cabin warm. And to most EVs, in fact, most cars, period, uh, there's usually dedicated switches for the heated seats, you know, usually somewhere in the center console or, uh, you know, somewhere in the center stack. There's a button for, for each front seat to turn on the heaters. Not in this car. It's actually buried in the, um, in the touchscreen interface. And... Depending on what you're doing, it will take a minimum of at least two taps on the screen to get to the heated seats and, and turn them on, uh, which I thought was something of a strange oversight for an EV. I That's think it was annoying, too. I hate it when you have to go into, into infotainment to find that. And I wonder if it was like some design thing, like because it makes things look cleaner because you don't have little little toggle switches to turn on your heated seats. But it was cold when we were driving this thing, yeah. and I, I wanted the heated seats, and we're like, so it did actually. We're like, where? Wait, oh wait, in here. Here we go. <laughs> I, I'm looking at the the the, the dashboard right now, um, and I'm looking at the climate. The climate controls are not hidden in the 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 uh, the display. There's actually like a climate control has like little capacitive touch buttons, um, 
And but right underneath where the temperature is, there is a space that you because you can you know there's zone temperatures. There is a space between each temperature where you could totally put a button to turn on the heated seats. So maybe so that's a. It has to be that they just decided, like, aesthetically, let's let's bury that button. Everybody who buys this is going to live in California. It never gets cold here. Who cares? I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a bummer. I don't think – also, I wish the seat went down further. But that's that's just me with cars Because you're lot. tall. I think that was the yeah. first thing I said. Okay, so <clears throat> I walk up to Robbie at dinner at our little cocktail hour. And I'm like, hey, Robbie. I'm like, oh, my God, you really are tall. I was, like, looking <laughs> up at a giant. <laughs> hey, oh, God, I can't believe we talk to you on the phone every week. <laughs> every week? You're the giant I speak to every week? Oh, my God. But uh, yeah, no, you're, you're right though. They, you know, you do have some physical controls for things like volume and and to get to, to shortcuts to some of the various infotainment controls and and also the the climate controls. So that's good. Um, yeah, we we have a, a few questions um, that were related to the Ionic Five. So um, let's see. Let's start off. Uh, Andrew Pappas asked, <clears throat> "How's the handling?" Uh, how do the seats do holding you in? Uh, and the interior seems more minivan than hatchback. Uh, so I think you know we've kind of addressed the handling. I think we you know, we thought it was quite good. Uh, but you know any any other thoughts you want to share on that? He said that what did it say? The interior feels more minivan than hatchback. Hatchback. Yeah. I don't think it felt like well, a minivan. It's very, yeah, it's 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 comfortable. It keeps you in your seats. You don't, you know, it's nice. There's, there's just enough side bolsters. You're not flying around um, like you're, like, say, I don't know, riding an Arkhamoto Roadster. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it, it's, it's, I think it holds you. And I think the seats are, and the I, interior is very nice. I had a, a co-driver who was wonderful, who was driving more aggressively for various reasons on purpose, taking the corners really hard and actually do stay remarkably in place. Cause that was the kind of driving where if you, if you didn't have good bolstering, if you didn't have good seats, you'd be like, Oh, I'm, I'm smacking the center console. I'm smacking the door, <laughs> not the center console, now the door. <laughs> yeah. No, the seat, the seats are very supportive. I was, I was surprised at that. I was riding with, uh, with Carl Brower and, uh, you know, they do, uh, the seats, the front seats do an excellent job of holding you in place and they're, they're comfortable and supportive. Um, you know, it, you know, having that that big battery down low in the chassis you know, obviously helps the center of gravity, helps keep body roll to a minimum. I think you know overall body motions are, are well controlled. It does you know it does oversteer a bit or understeer I should say a bit at the limit, which which is fine I think for the vast majority of drivers. You know it's, it's very safe and stable um, way to do it. You know, not not a huge amount of steering feedback, but it's it's fine. You know I think. You will you will enjoy driving this thing. You know, we took it up. We drove up from San Diego up to Julian, which is up pie. in the, the mountains. Uh, yeah, and both of you pie. got pie. There was yeah. pie. That's my pro tip. Go to Julian and get Julian pie. So yeah. good. Um, all right, uh, and yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it really feels much like a minivan. Um, it, it definitely feels more like a more like a hatchback. What about um, flexibility of the cargo space, and uh, do the materials seem more upmarket? So I think we I think, addressed the second one. I think the materials are fine. You know, yeah. it's not. Yeah, it's not yeah. It doesn't feel as luxury as the Genesis, but it's no. you know, it's it's fine. It doesn't uh, feel cheap. It doesn't feel like it's yeah. just sort of a parts bin. You know, here we threw some stuff feels, in here. It feels. I thought it was yeah. nicer. Like I think it feels nicer than like an ID four. The ID four feels a little mm. bit like. Meh. 
Yeah, it, it does feel nicer. It feels affordable, and I feel like and the Ionic Five feels much nicer than like than a than a ninety four. And and the 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 infotainment system is never laggy. It, it feels. Oh yeah, it responsive. just works. Yeah, everything just worked the way it's supposed to. Good job. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and there's 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 plenty of cargo space. I mean, the be- the beautiful thing about a hatchback, you know, is you you have a nice large area. I think there's, I think the official spec is thirty cubic feet of cargo space uh, behind the seats. Uh, and about 66 with the rear seats folded down. Um, and then uh, Gupta AJ asked, uh, rear-wheel drive. Um, so, yeah, as I said, it's available rear-wheel drive. That's the base configuration. We didn't have an opportunity to drive that, just the front drive. Although, uh, or rather, the all-wheel drive. The all-wheel drive, um, the front motor is smaller, so it's rear torque biased. So it does feel more rear drive than, than traditional all-wheel drive. Uh, but, yeah, I thought... I thought that handling was fine. What about sound insulation and the road noise? What- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What did you think about the road noise levels? I don't was, remember thinking it was, it was an issue. Yeah, I don't think it was an issue. We did, uh, I did video with it, um, in-car video, and it didn't have to, like, yell over, like, you know, the road. And we were also, you know, we were on back roads. We weren't, you know, so, so some of those can be very, you know, rough. You know, sometimes they have, you know, more gravel than, say, your, your regular road on, you know, in your neighborhood. Uh, but, for the, yeah, for the most part, I didn't have any, I, I don't. Uh, recollect or um, have any um, road issues or road noise issues that 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 either um, caught my attention or disrupted my my uh, my video recording. Okay. Same. Yeah. All right. And then um, <clears throat> the charging curve. Um, I don't know how did how long did either of you watch the uh, the the charging demo or at all. I, I didn't make I had to shoot video that day and I was with somebody else who was shooting video so I ended up not doing the charging demo okay. yeah, which is sort of same. a bummer yeah. I was with we, someone who was doing video and we just didn't have a chance to get that yep yeah I, I, yeah I watched the uh, the first the first part of it you know just to see how it, how quickly it ramped up the charging as I said it, it almost immediately you know from 10 percent it jumped up to like 225 kilowatts right away and then it stays there pretty steadily. Um, after this, uh, I've got uh, an interview that I did with Trevor Lai, who's the uh, director of product planning for EVs at Hyundai, um, and we talk a little bit about that in there. But basically, you know, unlike the um, the, Mus- the Mach E, which at least in its initial form, when it got to eighty percent, it would basically step down from eighty kilowatts down to ten uh, at eighty percent. They've since changed that. They did an OTA update that changes that, but. Um, uh, Hyundai is ramping down more gradually once it gets past eighty percent. So it's not it's not that sudden step down. 
so it it will it'll keep charging. I think uh, full charge, uh, you know, up to 100% takes about uh, 35 or 40 minutes, roughly, uh, which is quite a bit less than than most of the competitors. Yeah. Um, and then you know, as a family car, relative to competition, um, you know, any any additional thoughts on that? I I well. I mean, it's, uh, you have the ID4, you have the Kona, um, you have the Bolt, and if you're like the aggressive like rock and roll family, the Maki, uh, I think it fits in there really well. I think it has enough space um, for for families. I don't know. I don't have a family. I know it has enough space for like dogs. Uh, um, you know, it has that. That I feel like it probably has, uh, especially because it doesn't have that sort of curved back. It's more like abrupt. So you get you actually get more of that space, that cargo space, that square footage. Because sometimes you're like, oh, you have you know 60 square feet, but like, you know, the 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 rear window is at like a 30 degree angle, or <laughs> and so you're you're losing a lot of space to like unless you're putting a lot of triangles in the back of your car, um, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, you kind of lose some space. It's less useful. Yeah, yeah. So I, I you know I think as a, as a family car, four doors, put some throw, throw some people. I got in the back, took some photos. So yeah, no, I think it was comfortable if you have a you know a small family and you. I- it's a great second car for a family. Hey, we're cruising. We're going to Costco or something. I, I literally <laughs> thought it was actually funny because I was thinking about the family. I, I rode in the back of it for a chunk of time because uh, the person who's doing video, I was like I out of sight, like hiding in the, the passenger side rear seat while <laughs> he's all, doing his thing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like squeezed don't, don't over know, in the like, corner. Yeah, yeah, right. So you're like hiding in the back of his video. But so I'm in the so like I'm sitting in the back of the car. He's driving in the front seats, pushed kind of far back because of how the camera's angled. And I thought, good lord, there's a surprising amount of space back here. Like so, and I remember thinking this would be great if you had kids, especially if you have kids. Like car seats are varying sizes, you know, for your family. You've got booster seats and like booster seats at the back that are pretty easy. But once you get into those like rear-facing car seats and the toddler seats, those things are ginormous. And you could easily put two in here. And I was thinking about it. You could even put like the rear facing ones which are the ones that are they're tough because of how they angle yeah they're just super awkward i'm like you could legitimately put rear facing child seats in this and not feel like you're gonna have to scooch a little forward up front like it was surprisingly roomy that i i literally thought of those questions i was sitting back there so those are my thoughts there you go yeah as a point of reference uh motional which is the the joint venture company that hyundai formed uh, a couple of years ago with Aptiv, uh, supplier, uh, to develop automated vehicles and robo-taxis. Um, they, you know, they operate in a, they've got a pilot program in um, Las Vegas uh, for robo-taxis. They have selected the Ionic 5 as the basis for their robo-taxi platform going forward. Oh, wow. So they're, you know, they're, they're actually testing them in Vegas now. They've got them in, in, uh, running around in Vegas and a couple other places. Uh, and also, uh, starting uh, early in the new year, they're going to have some of them running in Santa Monica uh, with Uber Eats doing deliveries, doing automated deliveries. But um, you know, they chose this car as their robo-taxi platform. You know, and one of, the, one of the factors you want to uh, incorporate, you know, for a robo taxi, it's got to be easy to get in and out of the back seats because that's where passengers are mostly going to be sitting. It's in those, in those back seats. So, you know, the back seats definitely, you know, big enough for, for at least a couple of adults, you know, three, um, three of, as long as they're not too, uh, broad shouldered. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's definitely, I think a, a good family vehicle, you know, so, I mean, for any of the, the current leading crop of, 
compact crossovers, you know, like a RAV4, CRV, uh, Tucson, etc. If you find the backseat of that suitable, then this is mm-hmm. very comparable to that. Yeah. You know, it, it's similar yeah. in size to what you'll get with any of those vehicles. Which is weird because it looks so small. It pictures it's, it looks, it's, a, it's yeah. an illusion. It's, 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 a, it's a trick. It <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's an optical illusion because they push those wheels way out to the corners. That's the, that's the other interesting. This thing is the same overall length as the Rav Four or as the Tucson, but the wheelbase is uh, ten inches longer. You know, so they really push those wheels out to the corners. So when you see it sitting there by itself without without something else as a point of reference. It it does look smaller than it actually is. Yeah. Which is fine by me. I I don't have a problem with it. It's that. like a TARDIS. Yeah. It's a yeah. TARDIS. <laughs> it's bigger on the inside. <laughs> All right. Any last thoughts on the um on the Ionic five? None from me. You know what? All I right. I didn't turn on the sounds of nature. So I, I did. Oh, oh you did? Okay. Yeah. All right. So at least we checked it. Make sure it's there. Yeah. It works so, as, you know, as for, it should, Sam. It, okay. Exactly. So, you know, whatever residual sound does come through, you know, in the absence of a of an internal combustion powertrain, you can easily drown that out with, you know, the sounds of feet crunching through the snow or, or that uh, Parisian cafe. So <sighs> not a problem at all. It, it so works you're good. just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what... I, I, one one other last thought on this one. Um, in terms of availability, they actually started. Mm-hmm. They've started deliveries this past week uh, in California. Uh, initially, it's going to be available in California and about twelve other states, which are either have a zero emission vehicle mandate or where EVs are already selling in significant numbers. Um, and then over the course of 2022, uh, they want to ramp up and make it available pretty much nationwide. So. If you don't live in a Zev state, you may have to wait till the second half of the year to get one or go to California or Texas or Washington or somewhere else where they where they do have them and buy it there and then bring it back to wherever your home is. But eventually you'll be able to get one. One day. Yes. One day. Fingers and, crossed. Assume, assuming the chip shortage doesn't continue on indefinitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I right. think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough to get these right now for the next year. Yeah. All right. Here's my interview with Trevor Lai, Director of Product Planning for EVs at Hyundai North America. Um, so uh, we're here driving the, the new Ionic 5, first of a, a new wave of dedicated battery electric vehicles coming from Hyundai uh, and, and also across the, the Hyundai Motor Group family of brands. Um, You've uh, you've had an Ionic for what, six years now since the original one was uh, launched, and that one was their, Hyundai's first dedicated electrified vehicle. Now you're transitioning to battery electric only. What what is the what what is the strategy going forward with Ionic? You know, is this gonna? I mean, you're gonna have multiple models off of this. It's a sub brand for electric yep. vehicles. Do you see it perhaps someday becoming its own? separate brand or is it going to stay part of the Hyundai family? How, how, how do you see that working over, over the long haul? Well, Sam, you've touched on a really good thing, right? You've touched on the history of, of the Ionic brand. So the versions of the uh, Ionic brand, you had the HEV, PHEV, and also the EV. It gave consumers a choice of what powertrain suited their life. 
from that, uh, like you said, six years, we've had a lot of feedback from those customers to try and make a uh, even better product going forward. So what we have now, first of the many on our eGMP platform, is our Ionic 5, right? Great range, great styling, great interior packaging, as you can see here as we're sitting in one. Um, it's one of those things where I think uh, it'll appeal to a lot of folks. Um, as we release more Ionic vehicles, uh, I believe the company will be taking a look and seeing what, we, what direction we can go uh, with that. So um, it, that, that piece still remains uh, quite a bit under study. Okay. What, um, you know, what, for this first vehicle, for the Ionic 5, um, you know, what was, you know, what was the thinking? Why, why this particular form factor? What would, you know, what was, uh, give me the, the background on how you, how, how the company landed with this particular car. So what we wanted to do for Ionic 5 was the first piece, range we found was a very, very important piece to the success of a product, right? Uh, we, we found that out through, of course, Ionic Electric, but also looking at other uh, competitors in market. So we knew that that, num that had to be uh, uh, a big piece um, right off the bat. Number two, we're always looking at um, uh, trying to commonize more platforms, especially going forward. And if you're going to do that, and we also know the feature is electric. So if you have all those three pieces together, you really have to have a dedicated platform with which um, you can uh, build uh, Ionic 5 and, of course, the you know, feature electric vehicles as well. You may have seen at Los Angeles Auto Show or at least heard about the Ionic 7 concept. Uh, uh -huh. That's something that I'm working on as well. Uh, an SUV, a larger, a larger SUV um, for, for the future. And so when you have all these pieces in place, um, you need to have something that can accommodate for uh, best optimized uh, platform for an EV. So you combine all those elements, um, needing dual motor, uh, primarily rear drive biased, uh, a large battery pack, all these things, um, you have something very specialized. And the great thing is, like I said, keep all coming, coming back to commonized platform, commonized platform. And the reason for that is it's, it's not just a one-off. Some OEMs will just do a one-off. Well, that's a pretty expensive way to go about doing things. Um, do it right the first time, uh, five, and then we'll see more in the future. Yeah, um, interesting. You, you mentioned you know, rear-wheel drive, uh, and this is uh, an interesting trend we've seen from some automakers, not all, uh, over the last a uh, couple of years as they've started to launch uh, new EVs. You know, Hyundai has had, you know, pretty much almost all, all your vehicles since the, since Genesis was still part of the Hyundai brand have been front-wheel drive-based. Why? What was the, the thinking behind going to a rear-wheel drive architecture for eGMP? Well, there's a couple, a couple of reasons that uh, we think a rear-drive architecture uh, is going to work out pretty well. If... Um, uh, number one, we always want to touch on the efficiency piece of it, right? So you heard earlier in our presentation for the all-wheel drive variant, um, it's very efficient because when you don't need the all-wheel drive system, the entire front axle is disconnected. The wheels are disconnected from the motor, so you have less parasitic drag um, that way as well. Um, also, um, because of the longer wheelbase, we feel that we have enough uh, um, weight uh, that we carry on the rear wheels to provide a better uh, ride quality uh, for the consumer. And, you know, through history, we know, you know, regardless of, of propulsion type, um, a rear drive platform is going to be, a rear drive biased um, uh, powertrain is going to be uh, a better experience uh, for the consumer. The last piece, too, if we take a look at uh, front wheel drive uh, based EVs, um, those wheels uh, are driven by a very high torque motor. 
you know, particularly in the case of a Kona Electric, for instance, 258 pound-feet of torque. And the tires we've chosen for that seem to be holding up pretty well. But if you look at other front-drive-based EVs uh, in a parking lot, like we are uh, here today, um, you're going to see that a lot of uh, advanced tire wear. And having all the uh, torque and power sent to the front wheels, those wheels are also turning. Um, what happens is the, the edge of the tires get feathered. Uh-huh. And feathering, of course, uh, you know, both it significantly re- reduces your, your handling capability. And, and not only that, but for, um, for NVH, you get yeah. a lot of tire noise when you yep. have feathered tires. So um, all those things together kind of led to you know, where we are today. Okay. Uh, as far as you know, this particular vehicle goes, um, let's talk a little bit about you know, some of the, the design choices that were made. Uh, you know, uh, I know one thing that's interesting, uh, you still have some physical controls uh, for things like getting to map, navigation, media, uh, you know, in addition to the two large screens. Uh, that's something that on the, the Tucson, which mm-hmm. is also you know, relatively new, and, and the Santa Cruz, uh, you went away from those and went to a full capacitive touch interface. What, what was the thinking there uh, with keeping some physical controls in this particular uh, vehicle? So... What we ha- what we're doing here with Ionic Five, right? The buttons that we see here in the in the center stack, conventional terms, not even really a stack anymore because uh-huh. it's so complex. Yeah. And this is actually really a, a styling element. You see it over here where it's solid because uh-huh. it just continues all the way across. If you're going to have a solid piece here anyway, you might as well have some controls that are solid controls. We did hear from uh, some quite a bit of feedback. We need to at least retain uh, volume knobs. We've done that here uh, with the Ionic Five. The other piece of it, while we do have a very large screen, we have found uh, through our research that, particularly with BEV buyers, they're very well in touch with the current trends, current and future trends of technology. So they're already using touchscreen displays extensively um, in their lives, not afraid of it. We have those elements here as well, uh, not only for these two screens, but also for the HVAC controls here as well. Uh, I think one of the, the really interesting features that I've noticed in this car is this center console here, the armrest and the center console structure. Yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of cars where it, your armrest can maybe adjust forward and back a little bit, but this one, the entire console can slide forward and back. Uh, where did where did that idea come from? So the idea there was um, anytime we, we are building a concept for a new vehicle, and it doesn't matter if it's, a, if it's an ICE vehicle or an EV as in this case, um, we do a brainstorming session with our market research folks and also our, um, our, our planning teams that we have at the engineering technical center that we have there in Ann Arbor. And so we brainstorm about you know, great innovations that we can do. And one of the things that we found through the skateboard design of this eGMP platform is you have a completely flat floor. You'll notice in the rear, there's no hump at all. Some of our competitors, they still have a hump for some reason or another. In this case, if you have a flat surface, you can do more things with it. So in this case, we decided we can slide the console fore and aft. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool idea, I think. Yeah. Um, it gives people a little more flexibility in how they use the vehicle, you know, depending on, on you, know, you know, their physical stature. Like, you know, I know Joe Manello here would probably appreciate having the, having the <laughs> console a little bit further forward, you know, uh, given her, um, her height or yep. lack thereof. Uh, <laughs> and for, for listeners, I mean, you know, we, we joke about Joel, but that we love her. She's, she's great. Um, so what, uh, you know, what are some of the other things that you've done distinctly differently for this car that, uh, you haven't done, that you haven't done in the past, you know, whether they were enabled by the, the EGMP platform or just in general, you know, things that you're going in a different direction for the Hyundai brand? 
So let's touch on two two things, right? So let's jump back about maybe three years ago or so. We had unveiled that Hyundai 45 concept vehicle. Uh-huh. When that came out, people were like, whoa, that's the future of Hyundai. Oh, but that's just going to be a concept car. That's not going to be anything like that um, for production. Well, you look at the Ionic 5 now. It's pretty you close. A, you take a look at that concept, that's pretty darn close. Uh-huh. And so having show car styling that can actually um, be produced, mass-produced, uh, efficiently uh, was one of the things I think uh, design direction um, is, is is awesome right now. The second piece that uh, that we're doing here is um, something that Ryan talked to you earlier about, right? V2L, what we call our onboard generator. If you have a big battery pack anyway, people like plugging things in uh, to charge their devices through USB outlets. And of course, if you take a look at, for instance, uh, our Palisade or our Santa Fe, you know, you have a 110 outlet in the second row. Well, let's take that a step further. If you have a big battery pack, let's convert that to 115 volts, and you can run uh, up to almost almost two kilowatts, so 1.9 kilowatts of capacity for that system, and you can do it through the plug in the rear seats, or if you want, with our optional uh, Hyundai accessory, you can do that from the charge port uh, from the exterior of the vehicle as well. Yeah, you mentioned uh, voltage. Uh, yeah, this is the first um, really sort of I would say mainstream vehicle that has adopted an 800 volt electrical architecture. Um, you know, most other EVs, including even Tesla, you know, are still at, at 400 volts. Um, you know, I think about the, the only other ones out there at 800 or more are uh, the Porsche Taycan and, and the, the Lucid Air. Um, how, how was that decision made? I mean, there's obviously some incremental cost associated of with, uh, with going to an 800 volt system. Yes. Uh, some of the components cost more. So. What drove the decision to use an 800-volt design for this platform for vehicles that presumably, at least some of them, you know, will be relatively affordable? So there are two elements that I like to look at uh, with the 800-volt system. One, uh, we talked earlier about the, the flexibility of the eGMP platform. So what that really represents is an investment into the future. 400 volts has been working great now, but what's going to be the next step, right? So 800-volt architecture allows us to do that. The why behind that is, again, coming back to customer research, one of the main barriers um, for uh, shoppers is uh, charge time. Um, what if um, you're not prepared, you have to you know, drive a really long distance at the drop of a hat? Sometimes you know, life happens, you might have to do that. With a 800 volt architecture that we have in Ionic 5, you can do the super fast charging. What is it, from 10% to 80% in 18 minutes or so. That's a really, really um, uh, important piece for that peace of mind for the consumers. And the best messaging there is that it's standard across the board for all Ionic 5. It doesn't matter if you have the base trim or the top of the limited trim. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, Ryan was mentioning earlier that uh, particularly in Korea, you know, a lot of the, the buyers in Korea live in high-rises, live in apartments where you don't have access to dedicated off-street parking uh, like most in Amer- or many in America do. Uh, and so they, EV buyers there are going to be more reliant on DC fast charging. Um, and so having that ability to charge you know, that, that quickly with an 800-volt system uh, I think is is going to be crucially important, and you know it's a it's a good benefit for everybody you know globally that gets access to these vehicles. Right, and in that time you're you're looking at what from that ten to eighty percent you're looking at about two hundred miles of range. That's basically a very similar to a top up you might have at a gas station, uh-huh. and yeah. not much more time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in terms of charging, you know, um, from you know survey work that we've done at, at Guidehouse at my at my employer, um, you know, one of the the big barriers we've seen to EV adoption is um, 
access to charging and, and charging time. Um, one, you know, one of the challenges we have, you know, is you have a, a lot of different charge networks. Um, you know, ChargePoint, EVgo, Electrify America, and, and others. And, um, you know, in the past, uh, customers, you know, drivers have had to juggle multiple accounts, you know, have different NFC tags or whatever. You tap on the, the, the uh, charger to mm-hmm. initiate your charge. Um, is Hyundai doing anything to make that process more seamless, more friction-free for EV drivers? So for that, that piece of it, we understand that that's a, a very common uh, common complaint, right? Uh, especially those who've had BEVs for, for quite some time. We've seen that in the consumer electronics side of having all these different dongles to uh-huh. charge whatever device you have. And the best idea is, of course, to have a commonized standard. Um, that's something that uh, Ian mentioned earlier in our presentation. His side of the business is working on uh, solutions for that. Uh, I wish I had more information for you on that. Not my forte. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, let's see. Uh, are there any other things that people should be thinking about? You know, with this, I think. You know, I think there, Hyundai so far hasn't gotten a huge amount of attention uh, for its EV efforts. Uh, you know, which I think is. is Unfortunate because you know you've already had some really good EVs. You know, even though the the original Ionic range was somewhat limited, it was very very efficient. Uh, the the Kona EV you know has great range. You know, at a relatively reasonable price, and it's a lot of fun to drive. Um, and uh, and this one as well. Um, are 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 there any other things that people should be thinking of? You know, when it comes to Hyundai and EVs and you know, why they should consider Hyundai among the leaders in the EV space. Presuming you think you do believe that. Yeah, of course. The thing to, to note, of course, for, for Hyundai, we, we're known very well for America's best warranty. And if you're ever unsure about, well, how is this going to, it's fine now, great, uh-huh. new car, how is it going to be eight, nine years down the line? It's not a problem. America's best warranty is that for a reason at Hyundai. It is backed by our legendary warranty that will warrant these parts for a very, very long time. All right. Trevor Lai, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Sam. Always great to talk to you. Continuing on with uh, with EV deliveries, um, GM delivered uh, the first examples of two of its new EVs this past week. Um, they apparently delivered uh, the first Hummers to customers, Hummer EVs. Uh, they didn't say how many, you know, so this might be like two or it might be ten. We don't know. Uh, but some some customers, and and we also don't know if those customers are GM employees or non <laughs> non employees. <laughs> they didn't say. Uh, but but there are apparently you know regular consumers somewhere that that have uh, Hummer EVs to drive now. Um, and they also <laughs> delivered the first five Bright Drop EV600 delivery vans to FedEx Express uh, in Inglewood. So you may see these. Um, making your FedEx deliveries if you if you live in the LA area, um, starting in the next few weeks, uh, and uh, uh, over the over the course of the next year, both of those will be ramping up uh, significantly in volumes, and GM will be adding more, and finally adding more EVs to its lineup uh, since you can't actually buy a new Bolt right now, which was the only other EV that they had. I, I you know I, I the bride drop um, it's very interesting because they they sort of came you know bride drop is an e, as a startup it got bought up by or invested or however you want to say it anyway they have no they you know, actually developed it internally um, so they have the the GM overlords so but you have all these startups 
that are making these sort of delivery vehicles. And I did an uh, article uh, a few months back, and um, I talked to FedEx, and they made a very good point, whereas if you're a big company or a small company or whoever, and you're looking to buy delivery vehicles, you kind of, you're probably more than likely going to go with the company that's attached to a large uh, legacy automaker because that legacy automaker has service centers all over the country and that legacy automaker isn't going anywhere. You know, they're not, they're not, you know, the whims of the market or the whims of, you know, they can, they, even though, you know, we have the, the, the shortage and, and the inability to, to build things right now. Um, if you're a comp, uh, a factory that needs to build or a foundry needs to build chips, are you going to build, you know, 100,000 chips for GM or 5,000 chips for a startup. You're going to go with the big money first, and then the startups are going to kind of get pushed back. So it's, um, I think, I, I think we're going to see a lot of these bright drop things everywhere. I think it's, you know, I think for for automate for for big companies and small, especially if you're a small company and you're buying an EV uh, delivery vehicle, you don't want to buy like three of them and then have that company go out of business because now you've gone out of business. <laughs> So. Right, and and that it's interesting you mentioned that from coming from FedEx because there was another article that was uh, published this week uh, on the Verge uh, from Sean O'Kane. Uh, he did a, a big long investigative piece on a, a startup called Change. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. It's, it's like Change with a J instead of a G. Of course. Um, and you know they were partnered with a Chinese company to do you know a very similar kind of large electric delivery van. Uh, and they had a, a deal with FedEx. Uh, and I, I guess I think they delivered about 20 of these things to FedEx over the last couple of years. You know, and it was supposed to be several hundred uh, that were supposed to be delivered. And, and they, were, you know, they were supposed to help FedEx with installation of uh, charging infrastructure at their depots. And, all, and they had all kinds of problems. And basically, you know, they went out of business and completely shut down last spring. But um, you know, FedEx is now suing them. They've got a couple other companies that are suing them uh, because you know they paid for for vans and stuff that they didn't get. Uh, so you're right. I think you know this is a, an area where you know the legacy automakers are likely to have a significant advantage. And you know, Ford is about to start deliveries of the e-transit. Uh, their electric version of the Transit, uh, similar to uh, the Bright Drop, not not quite as big as the EV600, uh, but you know I think the you know any you know for a business that relies on these vehicles to to generate their revenue, you know knowing that the company is still going to be there five years from now and is going to have parts and going to have you know service centers to take care of these vehicles i think that's going to be really important for a lot of these companies yeah yeah and i do like the fact that they, they deliver the hummer right right at the end of the the year which you know automakers do this all the time I mean, hyundai's done yeah. this the ionic 5 they've delivered a few of those i think they delivered one so far that i'm aware of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but they delivered it within 2021, and I remember when they delivered the first Bolt. Um, they they delivered it at the end of the year, but they also delivered it in Fremont, which is where Tesla was oh. building. <laughs> yeah. oh, sort geez. of like, sort of like you know, just just this just that P- old school PR automaker. People will do that sort of thing. Yeah, we delivered it. We delivered three. I think it was two or three Bolts in Fremont, California, and they don't say anything about Tesla in the press release. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're just driving by because it was before the Model 3 had come out. So they they, they beat the Model 3 to market. And yeah, so it's it's that's that's always a fun like, well, we're going to have it by the end of this year, which means 
sometimes they're going to have three of them delivered to three people by, on you know the last two weeks of December. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, automakers often do that but sort of thing. Technically, they did it. But we did it technically. Yeah. We did it tech- and that was and we're technically right, which is the best yeah. kind of right. <laughs> well, and I mean, when Ford did the the reveal of the um, uh, the Mach E. Uh, in 2019 uh, in L.A., they actually did it in Hawthorne at Hawthorne Airport, um, which happens to sit right next to um, a company called SpaceX. Uh, I can't remember who owned or who oh. runs that company. but uh, Some you know, Twitter guy. Yeah, he, he, he does guy. spend a lot of time on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, and they used, you know, the, the actual reveal event. They did it in the same hangar, which a few days later was used for the reveal of the Cybertruck. You know, it's where, yeah. where Tesla does all their all their uh, <laughs> reveals. So, and and they did they did demo rides during the day, uh, you know, driving ar- around the perimeter of the the SpaceX headquarters. Yeah, so <laughs> every, nice. if he if he was you know if Elon was there you know looking out the window, he would have seen these things driving around circles around his building all day long. So. <laughs> probably just got in his private plane and went somewhere else. He's like, ah, I don't need to be here for this. Got to uh, out. Yeah. Take my plane. I'm leaving. Right. <laughs> Taking my private plane, I'm going home, wherever that may be at that point. Uh, uh, I think I think it was still uh, Bel Air at that point is where most of he had. I think he still owned five houses in Bel Air at the time. <laughs> Only um, five. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah, I think he sold them all now because he moved to Texas, so he doesn't have to pay California income taxes. Um, anyway, uh, another EV startup. Um, had their first uh, quarterly earnings report this week uh, with Rivian. Uh, you know, they went public a couple of months ago and at, a, at an enormous valuation. And um, they reported their, uh, their Q3 uh, earnings with a $1.2 billion loss in Q3. Um, they finally uh, gave out some numbers on how many uh, trucks they have delivered, uh, which was uh, 386 R1Ts, uh, actually 380, uh, 384 R1Ts. There was also two R1Ss, the SUVs that they delivered uh, this past week. They did. Uh, oh, I didn't yeah. even miss that. Okay. Yeah, it was. They they talked about it in their um, uh, in the analyst call afterwards. I wasn't listening in on it, but uh, the reports I listened to, uh, they they met uh, R.J. Scarringe, the CEO, mentioned that uh, yeah, we delivered the first two of the SUVs um, the, this past week. Uh, just before the earnings call, and uh, you know, so it's not you know it's a very slow ramp up. You know, they technically started production in September, and they said you know that it was going to be a slow production ramp uh, while they finished getting things sorted out, uh, and they're also um, apparently, from what I've been told, they are focusing more right now on production of the delivery vans for Amazon than they are on the R1s. Uh, you know, since Amazon invested four or five billion dollars into uh, Rivian <laughs> and del- ordered ten thousand of these vans, it's it's not surprising that you know they would. They don't want to end up like they don't want to end up like change with a J. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid that. Yeah. Here's your here's your vans, Amazon. So you'll you'll be seeing a lot more of those Rivian vans coming in the uh, you know uh, deli- making deliveries in your neighborhood in the in the coming year. I think their their target was to try and deliver ten thousand of those vans by the end of twenty twenty two, and a, and a few hundred of them by the end of uh, this year. Uh, they they also announced uh, that they were building a second factory in Georgia, 
near Atlanta. Uh, and they're investing $5 billion wow. in this factory. Um, it, do, you, do you think that, you know, it's what, you know, they, they, they also reported that they have 70,000 pre-orders for the R1T and the R1S, which is about a third of what Ford has pre-orders for the F-150 Lightning. Yeah. Do you think maybe it's a little premature to be spending $5 billion on a second factory? So they have, okay, so right now their current factory, the, the capacity is 200,000. So if they're doing 100,000, if they have to do 10,000 and then 70,000, um, they're still under 200,000 for their year if they, you know, as they're ramping up for 2022 uh, production, it'll probably take them a year to finish that factory from now. So I guess they're, they're very much being like, well, we're going to do it. We have the money. Let's do it now. They, big hopes for future numbers yeah, that are big much hopes. higher than current numbers. And so I've, they'll be ready. I've sure. driven, I've driven the R1T for uh, 30 minutes off road and it is a very good truck. I'm oh, going to, I'm actually, it's quite good. I'm, I'm having it delivered tomorrow, um, and I'll have it. I, I can talk about the next, you know, the next pot like a like a proper like more than you know, 30 minutes riding huh, driving yeah, around yeah. in mud. Um, but it, I, there are a lot of people who who have been asking me about this vehicle for the last few years, more than the Cybertruck, more than the F-150 Lightning, more than the Silverado that'll be uh, unveiled. And so I think they they are hoping that they can continue. Uh, getting the hype. I mean, they they beat the Cybertruck to market, and I think that's they, to them. They, I'm sure they're all like, "Yay!" Throwing <laughs> confetti in the air. Of course, they're not building anything else. Tesla has to build all these other vehicles, and other Tesla's hitting is hitting the 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 issue that everyone else has when they're building vehicles. Like, we we, we want to make a new one. Oh man, where do we make that at? <laughs> yeah. So I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, te- Tesla is gonna deliver you know, probably somewhere north of 900,000 vehicles this year. Uh, you know, which is, you know, getting into, you know, real automaker territory. Yeah. So I think, you know, 600, if, if they have, once they have both of these made, they'll have 600,000, you know, annual capacity of their vehicles, which is, you know, they still have to make the 100,000 for Amazon over the next however many years. And I'm, they're probably anticipating that once people see the Amazon vans on the road, they'll have other customers who'll want to buy these. And then, and, and they're, you know, they're, hope, they're hoping that the hype machine keeps going. And uh, yeah. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, five billion. I mean, if you're going to get that that shareholder that that investor money, like you should do something with it, I guess. And if you're <laughs> if you're adding it to infrastructure, it. if you're adding it to infrastructure for your for your company, you might as well just go for it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and I think yeah you know, they in the 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 Q, in the the earnings report, I think they said at the time you know at the end of September they had about five point five point five billion in cash on hand. And that was before they, that was before, or 5.2 billion. That was before they got the proceeds from their IPO, which is about $13 billion. Uh, so, you know, they were, they're on target, uh, you know, for the end of the year to have, you know, somewhere around $19 billion in cash on hand. So they've got the wow. cash. They don't have to, they don't have to borrow money uh, in order to do this. Um, but, uh, you know, they're also, you know, Right now, as long as they're not building very many vehicles, they're also burning cash at a fairly prodigious rate. They had a negative cash flow of about almost $1.2 billion just in in Q3. And it'll probably be close to that much uh, for for Q4 at least. So they spent $5 billion on the factory. They burned through $1.5 billion per quarter, which is about, you know, two and a half. 
That's almost five billion. So they have ten billion. <laughs> so they still have a few billion left over yeah. for next quarter, <laughs> for yeah, next year, for twenty twenty three. They're good. They're good. They'll be. They'll be. They're yeah, fine. they'll be good they're to at least the end so of next good. year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're not having to borrow money, which Tesla had to do. You know, Tesla. Yeah. Had to, you know, they had to borrow a lot of money in order to do the things that they do. I think they're like, well, Tesla did it, but they borrowed money. We're doing it without borrowing money. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to Tesla's credit, they actually didn't really borrow very much money either. Um, they just kept going back and selling more stock, you know, and, and people kept buying it. So, oh yeah, um, they they actually have had surprisingly little debt, given you know how much money they lost over the last decade. Um, yeah, they, it was it was comparatively small. Um, the, the EV stock market is just bonkers to me. Like the, the the valuations of like some of these EV companies, and I, and you know if you have that valuation, you have the money, you you should really use it. You know, at some point, someone's gonna be like, you know what? <laughs> Maybe these aren't worth as much as we think they are. It's like the housing market. At some point, people are going to be like, oh, wait, wait. Toyota makes way more money and way more cars than Tesla. And so does Ford and GM. Hold on. I think as yeah, as everything sort of like fizzles out, that's when they're going to be like, oh, we should have used that money to buy a factory. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> Missed yeah, well, And, you know, I mean, even – even though you know Rivian, um, Rivian's stock price did drop after their earnings report it dropped about ten percent, it's Rivian is still worth, despite having delivered three hundred and eighty-six <laughs> trucks in the quarter, it's still worth more than Ford uh, in terms of its market cap. Three hundred eighty-three billion dollar market wow. cap versus uh, seventy-nine billion for Ford. I think if we sneezed. Like in in the time of a sneeze, I think that's how many that's that's how long it takes Ford to make three hundred eighty six F one fifties. Just they made a billion just since we've been recording this podcast. Well, they 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 build they build about uh, I mean assuming they have enough chips they build about one hundred and twenty F one fifties an hour across the two plants in Kansas City and and Dearborn where they build it. How much a hundred sixty an hour from each plant? Jeez, one hundred and twenty an hour. Yeah, so that's fifteen minutes. Three, three hours of production for the F-150 is what uh, Rivian delivered in Q3. Three hours. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. <laughs> it was like everyone got up. They got to work. It's like between getting to work and lunchtime. That's how. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Up, up to the first break. Up to the first lunch break. Yeah. All, right, we're, all right. We're worth $15 billion. Let's go. <laughs> Bam. We're done. We're done. Uh, okay. Um, we've got a couple of other questions. Um, and let's address those and then wrap it up for the week. Uh, let's see. Andrew Pappas had another one. He had a question about how the chip shortage affects parts suppliers that don't need chips, like um, things like seats, glass, et cetera. Um, how, are, uh, how are those companies um, affected by the reduction? Um, so, you know, the, the thing that I think a lot of people have come to realize with the chip shortage is, you know, you get thousands of parts in a vehicle and for most of those parts, if even one is missing, it becomes very hard to ship the truck or the, you know, the vehicle. <laughs> you basically have to have every single one of those parts. You know, they, automakers have been finding ways to leave a few features here and there out. You know, but for the most part, you know, they've had to either pause production or stockpile vehicles while they wait for the parts that they need. Um, so when they pause production, that means everybody else that's shipping parts for those or that's building, making parts for those vehicles 
um, they have to pause production as well because they don't want to be stockpiling those parts. Yeah. So glass seats, you know, tires, brake pads, everything else that goes into a vehicle, those get paused as well. So there's a cascading effect uh, throughout the economy. Yeah, if, you, if you're like ham making something, if you don't use any chips at all in your production of your part, um, and then you're like, hey, we're future, we're, 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 we're proof, you know, we're, we're defended against this, this, this uh, chip shortage. Nope, because <laughs> no, you're not. car production is only as quick as the slowest supplier. Yep. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's generally estimated that um, for, for the auto industry, for every direct job at an automaker, there's about seven other jobs that are directly impacted at suppliers and um, various other service providers. Uh, so there's a, there's a large cascading effect from this industry across our entire economy. All right. Uh, finally, from Sean Whitehurst, uh, we have uh, Hello Wheelbearings team. Uh, perhaps you can answer a few puzzling car questions I have. Why is there no indicator light that your headlights are on? The only indicators are for parking lights or headlights and then for high beams, uh, which with daytime running lights, uh, drivers may think they have headlights on in some situations. I've also been in well-lit cities at night and second-guessed if my headlights were on. Oh, that's, a, that's an actual, yeah, no, that's a, that's a real thing. I've driven around, I used to drive around with my WRX, um, not realizing that I was just yeah. cruising, because it was like the first car that I had that had uh, just running lights on all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wow, it's really dark. What's going on? I'm like, what's, ha- what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't have like an indicator that said like, oh, your headlights are on because it's nighttime. It was just, everything was really dark. <laughs> and then I turned it, I'm like, oh, okay. And, and now we have, you know, a lot of cars have those auto. So it just turns on when the it sun goes down thing. and does its yeah. own thing. But yeah, I think there, would, there should be something. Well, a, a lot of cars actually do have separate indicators for headlights and um, you know, your parking lights. Um, some don't. Some combine them into a single one, so you don't know what's actually on. <laughs> you don't know what's going on. Yeah, I have driven <laughs> with my parking lights on, like it, when it's a uh, brightly lit city and you think your lights are on, and then all of a sudden you get to a dark spot or it's like, man, it's really not well lit. Like you said, oh, crud, my lights are on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, th- you know, if you have a car that doesn't have a digital instrument cluster that still has you know traditional mechanical or electromechanical gauges with you know physical needles and stuff, one indicator that your lights are not on is if your instrument cluster is not lit up. Right. Uh, you know, and I've I've had that I've noticed that sometimes I'll I'll pull away, and you know then look down at the gauges and realize oh shit lights are off because because the cluster is dark. Um, now with a lot of modern vehicles that have do have a digital cluster. Those are going to be on anyway, and it's uh, really so. bright. Yeah, because it's it's fighting the daytime. Yeah, <laughs> so you don't know um, until so. it gets darker. It's, it's so yeah. in your brain, it's backwards. <laughs> but but if you if you if you do have gauges, you, you'll be able to uh, to tell from that as well. That's another indication. Um, all right, continue on with the light theme. Why have lights never been connected to wiper usage? Anything beyond the quick pulse single swipe should be accompanied by lights on, as at le- as as is the uh, the the law in some states. It's um, a good question. I I don't know. I mean, it does seem logical that you know if you're going to have the wipers on, your lights should probably just come on automatically, don't you think? Yeah, that's they have that. That's I think that's a law in California where if your wipers are on, your headlights have to be on. So right, but why not? Why not just make tie that them a autom- automatic? 
I wonder yeah. what happens. Well, then I think you, what happens is you get into the intermittent issue. Like, it's, yeah. does it stay on? Did you just do that because you had a little bit of a little? Uh, you know, there's a, there's a little. Oh, bit so of now fog. your lights have flipped on it's for not, a few minutes. Now they're off yeah. again, and now they're on, and then yeah. Do they stay on the like, whole time because they're they, you know you only you have you know it's early in the morning. You have that sort of weirdness that's going on. I figured, like, you know what? To be fair, that should they should still just come on. I mean, a headlights on during the day isn't hurting anybody. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right, does, is it really a harm if your headlights are on? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I, you know, there there are some people out there who, you know, find themselves deeply offended by other people driving with their headlights on during the day. <laughs> I have generally done it, you know, for much of my life. Yeah. Uh, but, you know... You know, some people hate it. Uh, I, I I have no idea why. You know, it's never it's never bothered me if somebody else has got their lights on during the day. Um, you know, with with my car, you know, my Miata, I I generally don't turn the lights on during the day. You know, because they're pop ups. But uh, with other cars, I I often do. So that's such um, a. Why would they be? Because now I mean, modern cars all have running headlight, running daylight. Yeah, you know, the headlights are on all the right. time. So now I'm just, I'm like, why are they so angry? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, 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 hey. It's daytime. I, Stop that. I know. I've, I've, I've seen complaints from people. It's like, I don't want daytime running lights on my car. How do I disable these? You know, how do I kill why these? Would you, well, I don't understand the wanting to when, disable something you, that essentially inside, is a safety feature. You, you can't even I don't see want them. these damn seatbelts. Get rid of these things. Yeah. How do I unbolt these? You know? <laughs> how dare you? How dare you impose your lights on <laughs> philosophy? On All right. One last one from Sean. Um, why do SUVs get to tint rear windows? Uh, is the, the true mark of a crossover versus a wagon? I legally tinted my TSX wagon in uh, Connecticut, and the maximum tint on any door was minuscule. Uh, had my vehicle been lifted two inches at the factory, like a Subaru, it would not have been. Uh, it would not have been a car in the eyes of the law, and I would have had the tint. I would have. I could have tinted the rear windows more dark. If it's uh, for police safety, then why not larger, higher vehicles with more places to hide things be allowed <laughs> more tint? Uh, this has puzzled me for years. Why? I don't have any. Why? I don't know. Who do we ask that? Now I want to uh, know. Uh, Would that be an engineer question to ask? Would that be a designer I, question to ask? I, Who's I in think, charge of that? I think it's actually a legal question. Um, so yeah, do we because, need a policeman? Well, uh, because yeah, I mean, actually, <laughs> I you know need what? an I will, answer to this one now. I'm curious. I, I, will, I will check with with a couple of people uh, that I know uh, with knowledge of the law. But my my guess is that you know SUVs are generally classified as light trucks, um, which at least the way the law has you know the, the the safety regulations you know were set up you know before everybody was driving SUVs. You know, light trucks were considered more commercial vehicles, um, you know, more like delivery vans and, and things like that, that often don't even have any windows on the side and in many cases on the back. And so, you know, tinting the windows, with, you know, darker for those vehicles was not an issue. Um, whereas, you know, cars, you know, anything that's classified as a car, um, you know, has a, a lower limit on the, the window tinting. I, th I think it's just because they're classed as trucks and trucks you know, are allowed to do that. But I will, I will dig into that one some more. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that one, Robbie? The only thing I know is that in California, you can't tint your side windows, the windows like for the, the driver and the, the front passenger. 
because right. the police can't see into the vehicle as they walk up to right. it. Right, but so, what about the other windows? I have no idea. I'm not even yeah. sure what, what the what – the, I, I just know those windows. I think you could just do whatever you want with the back windows. You can just, you know, spray paint them black as far as I know. But uh, – I'm yeah, literally I sitting here texting the only two police officers I know like, hey, dude, do you know why? So I'm trying to see <laughs> if I can get an answer this very minute. <laughs> It's such a, and I think because it's such a weird because it's you, you do it on this but not this. I don't think a police officer is going to pull you over for, like, well, on but this like, car it's why? this, under this. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I can't who see knows? them pulling you over unless it was like your windows are practically tinted black or something, you know. Yeah. So they're, but I just and, and on a lot curious. of SUVs, you know, everything from the the rear doors back around usually is like really dark tinted. Yeah, and they're they're hard to see through. It's to keep the you know. People from staring at your children? I don't know. <laughs> don't look at my kids. You can look at them if they were in a sedan, but not in this car. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we've got for this week. Um, and uh, thank you, everybody, for continuing to listen. And uh, if you listen to it this week, uh, you know, happy holidays, whatever whatever holidays you happen to celebrate. Oh, that's uh, right. Christmas and- this week. Festivus. Right. It's Festivus this week, too. Festivus for the Fest rest for of us? Festivus for the rest of us. Yeah. I do Christmas, or, so I'm going to say Merry Christmas to all the or, Christmas you know, people. Happy Krampus Day or Krampus. Uh, whatever whatever, whatever uh, floats your boat. Uh, enjoy, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.